right, well, good morning, everybody. Good to see you. Come on. Awesome, awesome. Well, it's good to be back with you this morning. Uh, Gretchen and I were away this past weekend. The family, we went to a, a conference down in Florida and, and had a really good experience there and learned some things. And we also got to do a little fun as a family, so got some fishing in and uh, went and went to Universal a couple of days, and uh, I managed not to vomit. Uh, <laughs> So that's always a win when you go to those kinds of parks, but, uh, you know, but it's joy. It really is a joy to be back uh, with you. Uh, I, I got a chance to listen to Pastor Josh's sermon last week, and it was really good. Hopefully you got to hear that. If you didn't, uh, it's online and you can go back and see that. But we are continuing a series today called The Blessed Life, and uh, we've been in this series for the last few weeks. And if you missed any of the installments of that, you can always go back and find those. Uh, just encourage you to dig in because I really do believe this. Um, is that this is one of the most important things that Christians uh, learn, and not only learn, but actually figure out how to practice in their life. Because if I asked you this question, do you want to be blessed? <laughs> right? Like no one's saying, no, I'm good. I don't, I don't want that in my life. I'm good. And, and, and let me be clear as to what that means, because sometimes we define what it means to be blessed in a variety of ways. But being blessed, especially as the Bible defines it, is that we have the supernatural power of God on our lives. That's what it means to be blessed, to have the supernatural power of God on our lives. And, and, and I don't know about you, I need that every day of my life. And so as we kind of wander through this series, my heart for you is that you begin to understand how to have the supernatural power of God in all areas of your life, in your relationships, in your friendships, at your job, but even more specifically as we go through this series, on our finances, in particular in relationship to our generosity, because here's the deal. Our God is the most generous God in the entire universe. And so if that's true, then that means he wants his people to be the same. And so we need to learn how to practice this in our life. And if you haven't figured that out yet, I'm so glad you're here. And if you're going back around for another lap, I'm also glad that you're here because the Lord has something to say to you today as we dig in a little bit deeper. Now, I wanted to start here in Matthew. And so if you have your Bibles, you can turn to Matthew 24, verse 45. It'll be on the screens. But I wanted to start here because here's a question that Jesus asks, all right? So this is a question that Jesus asked. Now, this question is asked right before he tells a parable that perhaps you've heard. It's the parable of the talents. And so if you've ever heard the parable of the talents, I'll give you the short version. There, there's a, a guy, there are three guys, and these three guys were given certain amounts of talents, all right? And the talent represents a, a certain amount of money, okay? And so there was one guy that was given five, another guy given three, and another guy given one, right? It makes sense. And so you get the, you get the talents, and then they were supposed to do something with these talents. Well, the bottom line is, is that the one that had the most, he did something. He, he doubled it and returned it. Then the other one doubled it, and he returned it. But then the guy that had one decided to bury it and simply returned back to the master what the master had given him. And, and it's this kind of crazy story because at the end of the story, the master says, well, because you thought I was all these things, I'm now going to take what I gave you and give it to the one that already had a, a lot. 
You see, what it's kind of an interesting story. And so right before, you know, before he gets to that parable, Jesus asked this question. Here's the question he asked in verse 45 of chapter 24. Listen to this. Who then is a faithful and wise servant? That's a good question. Who then is a faithful and wise servant whom his master made ruler over his household to give them food in due season? Now, if you don't have any context, you might be like, what in the world is going on? Just kind of cut to the chase. What really is being asked is, what does it mean to be wise? What does it mean to be a faithful servant of the Lord? What does, it, what does it mean to be wise in the things that God has given us? What does it mean to be a faithful servant, right? And so that's the question that I want to answer today. I want to spend just a little bit of time talking about what does it mean to be wise and faithful? What does it mean to be wise and faithful as a servant unto the Lord? Now, before I get to all of that, I want to just remind us as a church that next week, we are going to be receiving an offering. Now, we do this twice a year. This offering is called the Legacy Offering. And so this is over and above, you know, kind of offering. It's not where you take your tithe and put it towards that offering. No, it's, it's, a, it's a sacrificial offering. And why are we doing it? We do this twice a year. Because someday, as a church, we want to buy a house. You just, I mean, you got to get it. You know, maybe you get married and, and, and you get to that place and you, you're like, hey, someday we're going to buy a house. Well, that's kind of where we are. We've been leasing this space for a while. And so we receive two offerings a year to, to, to put towards us buying a house someday. And so just encourage you to pray about that. Think about that. If you need one of those envelopes, they'll be available as well. They're over here uh, just so that you think about it and pray about it as you come next week as we receive that offering. OK, just remember that. All right. Now, back to what we were talking about. Here in Matthew 24, Jesus asked this question. And he talks about the fact that, that there, is, uh, there is something unique about people who are wise and people who are faithful to God in their stewardship and in, in what God has entrusted to them. And today I want to tell you three things that I think are, 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 are what make a person wise and faithful as a servant of God. The first is this. They put God first. They put God first. Now, when I say that, you may say, well, yeah, I know what you're talking about. Well, yeah, we put God first. God's number one, right? God's number one. Now, the problem is, is that sometimes we say things, right? But we don't always practice them. Isn't that true? That sometimes we ascend to a particular idea, but we don't necessarily operate out of that idea. We, 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 we say, yes, God is first, but then sometimes we don't practice that in our life. Is that fair? I mean, that's fair. I mean, it seems to be fair that, that all of us at times maybe uh, slip in this. But, but, but the thing I'm trying to help us see today, that, that as we begin to walk in what it means to be blessed, is that we have to learn to walk wise, uh, to walk wisely and to walk faithful to what God has already said. And one of the things that he's already said is that I'm not going to compete with anyone or anything for my glory. That at the end of the day, God is first. That is his proper position on our life. And, 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 and this is something that we need to order our life after. Now, 
What I've noticed, though, sometimes when it comes to giving in particular is that what happens with generosity is sometimes we can be a little laissez-faire about it. And now, again, I'm not saying that we need to be overly religious about this or somehow that that if you do it wrong, you know, that God's going to smite you or something. I'm not saying that at all. I'm just simply saying that God created order. Yes. So out of chaos, he creates order. And so in that, there is order to how God has created things. And so what we have to understand that in our life, there is a spiritual order that we're supposed to live by. I don't know if you know this, but the, but you are a triune being. You have a spirit, you have a soul, and you have a body. And so what the way that God has designed the world is that our spirit would be stronger than the other two. That our spirit would tell our body And our soul, which is the seat of your emotions and feelings and all of those things, that our spirit would tell all of those other things what to do. Now, why would it be important then that your spirit is strong? So you can tell all those other ones to do what you want them to do. It makes sense. Same is true when it comes to certain things that God has created, one of which is the principle of first. That God is always intended to be first. Now, how's this play out? Well, this is how it plays out with our finances. So let's say you have 10 $100 bills, right? Now, I, I could have laid these out. And, I, and we look at those 10 $100 bills. I lay them across the stage. And we look at them and I say, okay, of these 10 $100 bills, which of those 10 are first? Like, how do you decide? How do you decide which one's first? Well, this is how you decide. Whichever one leaves first is first. (laughs) Does that make sense? Whichever one leaves first is first. And that's what you have to understand. When you think about putting God first, it's that the first of whatever is there goes to the Lord. And again, I'm not trying to be over-religious about it. I'm trying to help teach you a principle that leads to your blessing. Because at the end of the day, God always wants to be first. And matter of fact, tithing is about putting God first. When you receive your check in the mail, when this comes in, your job is to say, okay, I see all of this, and the first thing going out is unto the Lord. That's why a lot of people still write checks. Because you know you know what those things are, right? A little parchment, you write on them and you sign your name. Yeah, that's why some people still write checks in the church because they want to be able to write out their tithe and then take it and place it in the offering. They want to just, that's, that's how they do it because it's a, it's a spiritual activity for them. Okay. Now, I don't care if you do it digitally or whatever, but, but, but the thing that we have to see is that it really does matter. And if we're going to be wise and faithful as servants of God, we have to understand that God wants to be first. I shared this a couple of weeks ago about leftovers, right? I mean, some of you love leftovers. Thanksgiving, like you're pounding leftovers right now, right? Come on. Yeah. Some of you love it. My wife loves to make a hot, what is it? A turkey sandwich of something. Like, I don't know. She, she makes this concoction. It's like bread, turkey, potatoes, corn, cranberries. I, I don't know. I mean, everything you can possibly think to put on it. And then she pours gravy on it. Right? It's, it just covers it in gravy. You know, that's her thing. I mean, she loves it. And some of you are making faces at her. That's, that's just rude. I'm sure you don't eat anything that's weird. I'm sure. But, 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 but again, she, she loves this and, and, and it's a leftover from things. I, but here's the thing. I hate leftovers. I've told you this. I don't like them. I don't like to eat leftovers. I don't want to do it. I just, you know, I talked about coming to your house and if I was coming over for dinner and you made me leftovers, I would not be happy with you. 
I just wouldn't. I'd be like, you made me leftovers. How disrespectful and rude are you? We know what leftovers are. And that's what Jesus is trying to help us to see. That's what God is trying to see is that he's not interested in leftovers. Listen to this in, Ma- in Malachi. Malachi 1, 13 through 14. It, it, it really is. This, this passage of scripture is a very uh, challenging passage. Listen to this. Malachi, the prophet, says this. When you bring your injured, lame, or diseased animals and offer them as a sacrifice, should I accept them from your hand? So in other words, when you bring me your jacked up animals, should I accept them from your hand, says the Lord. Then watch this in verse 14. Cursed. Now you see a word there. That's the opposite of blessed. Okay, there's blessed and there's cursed. And cursed is not having the supernatural power of God on your life. So he says, cursed is the cheat who has an acceptable male in their flock and vows to give it, but then sacrifices a blemished animal unto the Lord. It's like you've got a nice looking animal and it's a beauty. And you say, yeah, we'll put this one back. Put that little lame one out there. That's, I mean, that's what he's saying. And so, so, so he says that, that this blemished animal is given to the Lord. And then he says this, and I love this. He reminds us of something that we already know, but we need to be reminded. He said, for I am a great king. If you doubt it, the Bible tells us that he is a great king. And he deserves to be first in our life, says the Lord Almighty. And and he says, and my name is to be feared among the nations. So he's saying, look, you can do that. I don't know what you think you're hiding from me (laughs) because I kind of know all and see all. So you have to understand that I'm not interested in that. I'm interested in the first. I'm interested in the one that you hold back. I'm interested in the one that's hard to let go of sometimes. Because again, it's about worship. It's about him being first. It's about him being on the throne of our lives, in our finances, in our families, in our fortunes, in everything that we have. It's all about him being first. Are you getting it? I hope you are. Because this is so important. And if we take it casually, I think we miss something. Here's, the, here's, here's what's an interesting possibility. I think it's actually possible to give 10% and not be tithing. Think about that. Now, you can give 10% of your money, but it doesn't mean that God's first. You could be doing it second, third, fourth, fifth, you know, and you'd be like, oh, it's fine, it's fine. It's not fine to God. It might be fine to you. And even you might even find people like, ah, it's not that big a deal. I mean, we're not religious people. We're full. We're under grace. Yes, we're under grace. But that doesn't necessarily mean that the law just goes out the window. The law is there to help us to see what's right and wrong. Matter of fact, the law is there to help us to see if this is a good thing or a bad thing. That's why the law is there. It's not just replaced, but it is true. That God wants us to live under grace. And you know what's crazy about grace? Is if like we really got deep into this and we said, okay, it's, we're not going to do the 10% thing. We're just going to do everything, you know, whatever. Here's the thing. Jesus took 10% and said, I want it all. Do you know that? Like, have you ever read what he says? Like that's what Jesus did. He went off and he said, look, yeah, if you don't want to be about the law, that's fine. I'll just have it all then. 
He always upped the ante. Jesus upped the ante. Now, why did he up the ante? Because now he was going to send his Holy Spirit for empower us so that we could actually accomplish it. Because there was a time in history that we weren't able to accomplish it. You know, one of my, my favorite passages of scripture is in Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6, verse 33. He says, but seek first, right? But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. Such a good passage of scripture about seeking God first and making him first. And you know the context of that? It's right in the middle of us trying to figure out who's our source, who do we trust, and why in the world am I worried and anxious about all of these things? Like that's the context that he says, seek first the kingdom of God. And I've found that oftentimes the reason we don't give God first is because we're afraid. Because we're afraid to do it. Because we're not sure if I don't pay the cable bill, then I'm that, that, if I don't do that, then that thing is going to get turned off. And I just say to you, so what? Isn't it better to have God first than it is to have cable? I know I'm a little, I'm, I guess I'm doing my age now because who has cable anymore, right? Everybody's like streaming everything. But, you know, but you see my point. You see my point. And so here's the thing I want you to see. The state of your finances doesn't change with behavior. The state of your finances changes with belief. Do you believe that God is first? And do you place him in that proper position? Here, I just want to share two things with you really quick. These are just some data points for you to kind of process when we ask this question, is he first? Is he first in our life? Here's, here's two data points that I think are quite interesting. One is Christian families making less than $20,000 per year. Get this. 8% of them gave at least 10% of their tithe. They're making $20,000 a year. Now watch this. Next. Families making a minimum of $75,000 or more the figure drops to just 1%. Are we, uh, is this okay? Are we okay, guys? Think about this. So you remember that old thing, like, if I won the lottery, I'd give a lot more? I just want to tell you, the data does not indicate that that's true. Like, people say, oh, if I won $10 million, man, I'd give a million to the church. I don't know if you would. Because, see, the Bible says if I'm faithful with little, God will give me much. If, I'm, if I handle the things that he gives me, the little stuff, that all of a sudden I now, why is this important? Because I'm a better manager of God's stuff now. I manage the little and God gives me much because he knows he can trust me. He knows that when the money comes to me, I don't simply say, "Woo, I'm going to build myself a bigger barn. Nope. I think, God, what do you want to do with this? God, what do you want to do? How do you want to bless the world? How do you want to bless people? How do you want me to build your kingdom with the resources that you've given me? You see the point and you see the difference. And so my point is that, that, that we have to, if we're going to be wise and faithful servants, we have to make sure that we put God first. Here's the second thing. In order to be wise and faithful servants, the second thing is that we have to steward the rest. Come on. So we can put God first, but here's the problem. Sometimes we put God first and we're terrible with the, the remaining 90%. Come on. Isn't that true? Like, like, like we're good with, I'll give you the 10, God. But then we go out and we don't steward the 90. We, we actually blow it. We do things that are dumb. We don't create any limitations or margins in our life. And we just kind of go. And then, and this is the bad part. Then what happens is we get mad at God. And God's like, what? 
How in the world are you mad at me? I let you keep 90 and you blew it. I know, no, I know that people don't say this from the pulpit much, but don't we just have to take ownership sometimes for the fact that we didn't steward what God gave us well? And here's the thing, guys, we've all done it. Like we're all in the same boat. We've all had moments in our life where we didn't manage the 90% very well. Isn't that true? Isn't that true? Okay, I, I just want to make sure you're all still with me because it's true. Now, I know that there are a few of you in here that are like, I've never done that. I've always been perfect with my 90% and I don't appreciate the fact that you insinuated that I did. All right. But in order to be blessed, in order to experience, a, in order to be a wise and faithful servant, we have to make sure we're stewarding what God has given us. And here are the thing. Here are four things that I think uh, really define someone that is a good steward. Here's the first. The first is they live with margin. They live with margin. Let me read this to you. I, I think this is such a powerful quote. It's from a book by Richard uh, Swinson. He said this about margin. He said, the conditions of modern day living devour margin. That's what he says. He says, if you're homeless, we direct you to a shelter. If you're penniless, we offer you some food stamps. If you're breathless, we connect you to oxygen. But if you're marginless, we give you more things to do. He says, marginless is being 30 minutes late for the doctor's office because you were 20 minutes late getting out of the hairdresser because you were 10 minutes late dropping your children off at school because your car ran out of gas two blocks from the gas station because you forgot your purse. He said, that's marginless. <laughs> Isn't that funny? See, 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 I don't know about you, but I I've lived that way before. Have you lived without margin? It's rough. It's hard to be a follower of Jesus and love people without margin. Because isn't it true when you don't have any margin, you treat people poorly? Like that's when you snap at somebody. That's when you get angry at somebody. That's when you're like, I don't have time for that. Right? See, see what happens is we create a lifestyle. We have no margin. And what the, I, would, I would say that the Bible says to all of us, you're not being gracious to yourself when you create a life with no margin. We might be great at giving other people grace, but we're not good at giving ourselves grace. And when we don't create margin in our life, I would just say that we're being actually quite cruel to ourselves and to our soul. And so margin is so important. Why do you think God instructed us to have a Sabbath? Because he wants to create margin in our life so that our spirit can always be strong and tell our soul and our bodies what to do. There's an order to things, and if we practice it God's way, we will see these things come to pass. And I've just found that in our finances in particular, many of us don't have any margin. We just don't. Listen to this in Proverbs 27, 12. A wise, shrewd person discerns the danger ahead and prepares himself, but the naive simpleton never looks ahead and suffers the consequence. I love the Proverbs. Proverbs are just always so straightforward. But what I love about this is he's like, a, a, a wise man, a wise woman, a wise and faithful servant of God, they, they see danger ahead. And they look at it and they say, okay, I see danger and I'm going to make a course correction because I know that there's danger coming. And let me just say this to you. At some point, you will need more money than you currently have. 
Yes, that's just true. We all know that happens in life. And so, so here's the thing we have to understand. We have to see the danger and then be wise about it. And you know what that takes? It's very simple. It's a word that none of us like to even use probably anymore. It's a simple word. I'll tell you what it is. You ready? It's math. What? Some of you just like, ah, you you had this cold chill go up the back of your spine. You know, it's math. You're like, oh, I hate math. Why are you bringing this up in church? What does math have to do with Jesus? Well, if you want to steward the rest, you got to do some math. If you want to steward the 90 well, you got to do some adding and subtracting. So for all you teenagers and young people in the room, this is where math matters. When you were in class thinking, oh, this stuff isn't going to, yes, it will. It's going to help you in your relationship with God because it's going to help you steward the 90 well. And when you steward the 90 well, you can live with greater margin. Do you see? Proverbs 21.5 says this, good planning and hard work leads to prosperity, but hasty shortcuts lead to poverty. Do you know this? 43% of people, 43% of people um, spend more than they make and they have to borrow or put it on credit to make up the difference. 43% of people. So what that means is, is almost half of the people in this room are spending at a level that's greater than their current income. Isn't that crazy to think about? Now look, this is a no judgment zone. I'm not judging you. I'm just simply saying that some of us haven't been taught. Some of us just didn't know. And so I'm so glad you're here. I'm trying to help you. And, and, and today you might be thinking, Pastor, I hate math. That's okay. I know people that love math. And they would love to help you. You don't have to live this way. You don't have to live with no margin. Because, see, that's one thing that I know a good steward does. Number two is that they spend wisely. How do you spend wisely? This is going to get real practical, people. Come on, just stay with me. How do you spend, real, how do you spend wisely? Here's another dirty word. A budget. No! <laughs> we've talked about math. Now we've talked about budgets. Are you kidding me? This is church. When are we going to talk about God? <laughs> Do you see what I'm getting at? Is that This is all very practical. And that's what I love about our God is he's so practical. He wants us to succeed. He wants us to be able to, to make good decisions. And part of making good decisions is knowing where our money goes. I love the way that Dave Ramsey says it. He says that every dollar should have a name. Every dollar that you have should have a name. And so you know where it's going. You know, you know, it's going over here. It's going to there. I've already made that. And here's the thing about tithing is that if you will go ahead and make the decision now that he will be first in all of your decisions, because that's your belief, you won't have the problem later trying to determine if you're going to give it to him first. Because you've already made a decision, whether you're up or down, whether you're rich or poor, whether you're in the middle somewhere, whatever it is, whether whether the government sends you that check this month, which I know many of you got and you didn't tithe on any of it. Come on. See what I'm getting at? Is that anything that comes to me is unto the Lord. It's all a gift from God. And so, okay, okay. Everybody breathe for a second the budget is just simply trying to help you tell your money where to go because here's the problem. When your money is telling you what to do, you have a problem. 
Your job is to tell your money what to do. Your job is to say, money, go there. It's not money saying back to you, hey, boy. That, that's not how it's supposed to be. That's how God has set it up. And so we have to get this, and it's so important. You're like, Pastor, I know. I know I love, I love what you're saying. I love, these, I love that of math and budgets. They're so great. But, you know, I just have to have that venti coffee every morning. I have to have the venti frappuccino latte soy grande mocha mouth. <laughs> I just do. And you just don't understand how important it is. I get it, I get it, I get it. But here's the thing. If we went and looked how much you're spending on that venti mocha cappuccino, <laughs> like you get to the end of your, end of your year and you're like, oh. I mean, I, I would love this. Some of you got some habits. We all have habits. Do a deep dive into how much you spend on that habit by the end of the year. And then come back to me and say, Pastor, I, I just can't give to the church anymore. Right? You see what I'm saying? Like, here, I'll give you an example. And this is in my own life. Because we all have these things in our life. So there's this, this game my son and I are playing. You've heard me talk about it, this stupid game. It's called Empires and Puzzles. Don't play it. But him and I were playing it, and we loved it, and we were having a great time. We, it was like our little thing. And, and the next thing you know, you know they've made it so easy to buy stuff on your phone. Like I have an Apple Pay or something. You got one of these? The PayPal or, you know, whatever. I literally can press my thumb and it pays for whatever I want. Like literally, it's like, cling. I just spent like $100, didn't even know, just, just left. And, and I, would, I would do that over and over again and I'd buy these stupid guys and power and, you know, like I was, I was beefing up because I'm playing in this crazy fake world. And I wanted to be the best. And here's the thing I know. And I'm not going to do it. I I mean, you guys do it, but I'm not doing it. Is if I went back and looked how much I spent on that dumb game, I would be embarrassed. I'm just telling you, I think I'd be embarrassed. And, and, And the Lord brought some conviction into my life, and I said, delete. I got rid of that game. I don't play the game. I don't even look at the game. My son even mentioned it the other day. He's like, hey, Dad, the game. I was like, I don't care. Don't talk to me about that game. Because what happened is it was a drain on the 90. It was a little drain. It was a drip. It was a drip on the 90. And I let it happen. Do you see what I'm getting at? That's why we have to be vigilant. Because there's all kinds of things out there that are trying to compete and take away from what God wants. And here's the thing. None of us want to be held accountable. We don't. We don't want anybody looking at our bank records, man. They're like, no, I'm good. Don't don't even know. Because I would be embarrassed around certain things that I've spent money on, God's money on. And this is what I know. I, I just don't want people knowing. And so what happens is we pull away. And, and when we need help, we don't ask for it because we're embarrassed. And the problem is, is you get into a bigger hole. And, that, that you know, it's my money, dadgummit. It's my money. And what do you, how dare you tell me what to do with my money? But here's the problem, is that money is telling you what to do already. And your job is to get that order back and become a steward of that 90%, making sure that you're stewarding it well. I just think this is what God wants us to see. Because we all love accountability for other people. We just don't like it for ourselves. Yes? 
How many of you would give to a church that had no financial accountability? Right? You ain't doing it. But if I came to you, like we're all about it professionally, all about it ecclesiastically. But when it comes to me, oh, pastor, you don't have any business all up in my budget. Maybe I do. Because last time I checked, this, this whole thing about where my treasure is and my heart, that, that's pretty significant to our spiritual journey with God. All right. Are you guys okay? You breathing still? All right. Third thing that I see that good stewards do is they save diligently. Now, just for a moment, I want to pick on a millennial. Currently, they say that millennials save about at a rate of 2%. Now, I know I just picked on the millennials, and I'll get off you guys because I, I love you. I don't, I don't want to just pick on millennials. I also know that if that's true, then that's probably true about some other groups of people in terms of savings. We just don't have any margin. 29% of American workers have less than $1,000 in savings. 29% of workers, less than $1,000. And the only thing that $1,000 is good for is an emergency. And it's good to have, but at the end of the day, it's not going to get you over the line. It's good to have so you don't have to put it on credit. But, but, but here's the thing. People just don't want to hear this stuff. Isn't it true we'd rather just ignore it? But here's what I'm trying to get at is that we all could be better. We can all be better. God wants us to be better. It just takes some discipline. It takes a little work, and we'll get there. Listen to this, what Philippians, uh, Paul is writing to the church, and he says, I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether I'm well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or want. You know what he was saying? He's like, he's figured it out. He's figured out how to be content. Like, like I, I, I knew I had reached a level of contentment when we got the Sunday paper after Thanksgiving. You know, some of you do this, right? And you look at all the ads. Anybody else do that? Like, no one does this. Come on, guys. You look at the Sunday ads and you look, and, and there was this part of me, I looked through all of them, and I'm like, eh, I don't really want any of that. I knew I'd reach somewhere. Now, I'm not picking on you if you want everything. I'm just saying. I just knew. Like, it's like, eh, I'm good. I don't need that. Because that is not going to satisfy me. If anything, it's just going to drain my bank account and make me poor. Do you see what I'm getting at? And so, so we have to see that savings is so important for us to get. And then finally, the last part about being a good steward is that we give generously. That we give generously. See, when you decide to tithe, it's just decided. You just do it. That's what you do because it's the test that God has placed in front of you and you are now passing it. And so it's just a decision. Now, over and above that, that's where it really gets exciting. That's where you begin to stretch your faith. That's when you begin to do things that you couldn't do before. That's when you actually create a, a stretch in say, okay, in faith, I'm going to see this come to pass. And that's what it means to begin to live generously. And it's something that we all have to decide beforehand. And here's the thing I've learned. I don't know anybody that regrets being generous. Have you met anybody that was like, I regret that. I really do. I just... And here's the testimony of a tither. The testimony of a tither is, I'm blessed. That's the testimony. I guarantee it. That's the testimony of a tither. 
You know what the testimony of a non-tither is? I don't have enough to be able to tithe. That's what I hear on a consistent basis. That's the testimony. See what I'm getting at? And here's the thing. You never will because you're unwilling to put your faith and trust in the one and put him first and recognize that he will do exactly what he says he'll do when you honor him in this way. Are you guys getting this? We have to make sure that this is a standard in our life. Now, I was thinking about this. My daughter is 17 years old. She's actually right here in the front row, just not to embarrass her at all. And I assume at some point there's going to be somebody that wants to date her. Right? I'm not really interested in that. Uh, like any good father would be. Not really excited about that. Um, I, sus- I suspect it'll happen. Uh, unless I sent her to a nunnery or something. That's the old school version of a convent. Um, But one of the things I've taught my daughter is if she brings anybody to my house that doesn't love Jesus with everything that they are, she can turn around with that boy because he ain't even going to make it through the door. And I mean that. Here's the other thing that that I'm going to look at. Does he tithe? Now, why is that? (laughs) You're going to look at that boy's finances? Yes. (laughs) Now, why would I do that? Because the Bible says that if you don't, I now am giving my daughter to a man who is cursed in his finances, asking for my daughter's hand. See the problem? Now, it it just got personal, didn't it? But that's my point. That's what God is getting at, is I would never release my daughter into the world with some thief. Now, you say, Pastor, that's really harsh. Yeah, I know. But I'm just telling you what the Word says. You can get mad at God. Get mad at the Bible. Get mad at the prophet. Don't get mad at me. I'm just simply telling you what the Bible says. And I want my daughter to be blessed. I want the house that they make together to be blessed. And the Bible is very clear how that gets done. That you put him first in everything. And you'll see the blessings of God come to pass. Whoo-wee. That's good stuff, guys. That's good stuff. We'll end with this. What, the last thing about what it means to be a wise and faithful servant. Are you guys still with me? The last thing. The first one was that we put him first. The second is we steward the rest. And the third is simply that we give sacrificially. I want to read something to you that I, I just think is such a powerful story in the Bible. And this really happened. This is a story that the Bible records, and I just want to share it with you. It's in Mark 14. Mark chapter 14, verse 3 through 9. Listen to this. Listen to this amazing story. Meanwhile, Jesus was in Bethany at the home of Simon, a man who had previously had leprosy. Okay, so he's hanging out with this guy that had had leprosy. He had healed him. While he was reclining, a woman came with a beautiful alabaster jar a very expensive perfume made of pure nard. You're like, what in the world is nard? It smells real nice. Very, uh, very concentrated. Okay, so if you think about like, you know how you can buy perfume that's watered down and then you have perfume that's concentrated and it's like, ooh, it's on a whole nother level. 
Yeah, that's what we're talking about. So it's a, so it's a very concentrated, pure, uh, pure perfume that she had in this beautiful alabaster jar. Then watch, it says, she broke the jar and poured the perfume over his head. So Jesus is reclining at the table. She breaks this jar and she pours it on Jesus. Now, if you want from the ancient Near East, that may be even weirder. Not just that she broke the jar, but she's pouring it on Jesus' head. But she was pouring it on his head as a, as a way of anointing him. Okay, that's what they would do. When they talk about anointing people in the Bible, they literally would pour oil on their head and the oil would go down their face, under their beard and all down their clothes. That's what it meant to be anointed. And so she's anointing Jesus as he lays at this meal. So she broke the jar and she poured this perfume on his head. Verse four, some of those at the table were indignant. They were like, why are you wasting such expensive perfume? You've maybe even had that thought at some point in your life. Why are you being so extravagant? Why are you doing that, you know? They wondered why in the world. And then listen to this in verse five. That particular perfume could be sold for a year's wages and the money given to the poor. And so they scolded her harshly. But Jesus replied, leave her alone. Why criticize her for doing such a good thing? Not for me, but to me. I like that. Because see, when you bring your tithe into the house, you're returning it to God. You're not giving anything. You're returning it because it, it, was, it was given to you and you're just simply returning it to him. But he says, why criticize her for doing such a good thing to me? You will always have the poor among you and you can help them whenever you want to. But you will not always have me because he was getting, what he was getting at was about his burial. Look, look at this in verse eight. She did what she could and has anointed my, head, my body for burial ahead of time. I tell you the truth, wherever the good news is preached throughout the world, this woman's deeds will be remembered and discussed. Why would this woman's deeds be remembered and discussed? Because at the level of her extravagant generosity, that it wasn't just about giving the tithe, it was about being generous. It was about being sacrificial in our generosity. Are you with me? It's not just about paying your dues to Jesus. It's about living a life of recognizing that it's all his anyway. And whatever he wants, I should be able to return it. I, I should just give it because it's his and he, and he loves me. And he's always going to provide for me because he's a great father and he loves his kids. And, he, and I'm going to be all right. I just need to trust him. And I need to make sure that when the moment comes that I'm willing to break my jar. Come on. There's going to be a moment where God asks you to break your jar. And are you willing to break that jar and do what God has called you to do. And I don't know when that will be, but I just know this. I want to be the kind of faithful son that at the moment he tells me to break the jar, I break the jar, that nothing has control over me. No money, no people, no nothing. Because at the end of the day, he's my Lord. He's my savior and he deserves my best. Oh, I just, I, God, will you help us to live this way? 
God, will you help me be remembered? Will you help me be discussed? That when people hear the story of my life, that they'll say, that guy, he was willing to break his jar. Will they say that about you? That's my heart for everybody in this church. So we're willing to break the jar for the glory of God. See, the Savior had come to earth to break an alabaster jar for humanity. Did you know that? (laughs) And Mary had come that night to break one for him. It was a jar he never regretted breaking, nor did she. I think when we come to the cross, we don't always remember that Jesus was willing to break his jar for us. He was willing to sacrifice everything for you and for me. And so when he asks us to return to him what's rightfully his, when he asks us to steward the 90, when he asks us to give extravagantly and generously to people, to to, to the kingdom of God, it should never be something I do out of guilt or shame. It should just be something I do because he's done everything for me. Jesus, thank you for breaking my, for breaking your jar that I might stand before God, holy, right, and spend eternity with him. Come on. That's what we need. I love the way that Martin Luther said it. He said, I have held many things in my hand and I have lost them all. (laughs) But whatever I've placed in God's hands, I still possess. Let's pray. God, I thank you so much for your word today. I thank you for it, how it challenges us, how it, how it penetrates deep into our heart, how it even sometimes slices through the junk of our lives. Thank you, God, for your truth. Thank you for loving us so much that you were willing to break your jar for us. Lord, I want to pray for anybody in this room today that really desires to honor you first. They want to honor you first in their finances and in their life. I just want to help you today as you you think and pray about your next step. I want to pray for you. Lord, I pray for anybody in here today that's trying to make that step. That they're like, I'm, I'm, I'm scared, I'm afraid. God, I pray that faith would rise up in them and they begin to honor you. They honor you first in everything that they say and everything that they do. God, would you give them what they need? Would you give them the power they need? Would you help them as they begin to mix their faith right now with this belief? I pray in Jesus' name that you would begin to intercede in their life and that you'd begin to show up in ways that they can't think or imagine as your word so clearly says. Father, would you bless them as they honor you? You know, Jesus so clearly was willing to break his jar for you and for me. What that means is is that Jesus came into this world and here in a month or so, less than a month, we're going to celebrate the birth of our Savior. But here's the truth. He, He was born. He grew into a man. At 33 years of age, he went to a cross poured out his offering. He broke the jar. He died for you and for me. 
took him off the cross, laid him in a tomb, and three days later, he came out of that tomb. He He beat sin, he beat death, he beat it all. Someday he's going to come again, is what the gospel tells us. I don't know your story. I don't know where you come from or where you've been. But I do know this. Jesus Christ, while we were yet sinners, he died for us in order to restore us back to a God who loves us so much. And so if you're here today and you've never taken a step of faith to make Christ Savior of your world, your life, opportunity to do that and so with heads bowed and eyes closed I just want to ask you do you know do you know that at the end of your days that you'll spend eternity with him and if you don't I want to be able to pray for you so if you're here today today is your opportunity so with heads bowed and eyes closed I just want to ask you a question are you willing to take a step of faith today the Bible says are you willing to say that this is what you want to confess with your mouth believe in your heart and if that is you today I want to be able to pray for you so like I said heads bowed and eyes closed I want you to do something for me if this is you if you wouldn't mind as a statement of faith I'd like for you on the count of three just to simply raise up your hand if you're online you can do the same thing but right now on the count of three just raise up your hand one two three just raise your hand up real quick I want to see God bless you All right, you can put your hands down. I want to say this prayer. I'd love for you to repeat it after me as a way of sealing this. So church, let's all pray together. No one's praying alone in here. Come on. Heavenly Father, I need a Savior. Will you forgive me of my sins and become my Savior? surrender my life to you. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. I choose this day to follow you. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Can we celebrate those that are making decisions today?